Hi, my name's Paul Malin. Welcome to the Life and Death of a Tax Investigation. Throughout this series of podcasts, we will consider the beginning, the middle and the end of a tax investigation. During the Life and Death of a Tax Investigation, we'll cover topics such as answering the initial challenge by HMRC, how to work out penalties, and then how to make a disclosure to HMRC. You can contact me for further clarification either on 07979 313 010 or my email address paul at pmc.tax. Thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Paul Malin of Paul Malin Consultancy, and this is another session in the podcast series of the life and death of a tax investigation. Towards the end of the whole investigation, taxpayers will be looking for some sort of finality. The finality starts to happen in the sense that there's always some paperwork to confirm that the matter has been done, it's been agreed, it's finished, and if there's amount to pay, then the amount has been paid. And that is referred to often as the contract settlement. The expression is based on the fact that it is a contract, so we now move away from tax law to contract law. So any two parties can enter into a written agreement that in the performance of whatever, the end of the matter is done. Now, contract is binding on all parties, but it isn't always the final version, because in the arena of tax investigations, you may have a bill of 10,000, 100,000 or 10 million to pay or whatever it may be. But then halfway through, you suddenly realise that you can't afford to keep up the payments. It happens in life. So in those instances, you can go back and renegotiate the terms of that contract and have a second contract. But either way, you are still under a contract until the full terms have been completed, which normally means all the payments have been made. Settlement. A settlement is made up of three component parts. The amount of tax, the interest on the late payment of that tax, and a financial penalty. The first two, tax and interest, are mathematical calculations. Once you have agreed what the amount is that's taxable and at what tax rate in what year, it's x times y equals z. The interest is however many days it's been paid late, and there are official rates of interest that keep track of the bank rate. The penalty. We've discussed penalties in a previous podcast, but that is a percentage of the tax again. So that is what the settlement entails. The contract settlement itself will say that for whatever period of time the taxpayer so named owes the amount of, let's say, £10,000, and it's agreed that this will be paid by a certain date or in a certain number of fixed instalments. And that is a contract, two copies, one for HMRC, one for the taxpayer. And that is then evidence that the matter has been done and dusted. Now, some people wonder, well, why is HMRC still keeping tabs on me? Well, that's because in the more serious cases, they call it managing serious defaulters. Serious is not defined in a monetary sense. It's normally where 
the taxpayers have had, has had to admit to having committed fraud. The definition of fraud, in my opinion, is simply the intention to deceive, like a false document. So where fraud has been admitted to, you then can fall into the serious defaulters regime. Now, the quantum of the tax payable is anything above £25,000 which actually is a very low level amount. So it can be that although you've paid all your amounts due, you then fall into the serious defaulters regime. And that is where HMRC will monitor the taxpayer for a stated period of time, but will also name and shame that taxpayer by their name, address, the amount of liability that has arisen, on HMRC's own website. That in itself can be a major problem for taxpayers, whether they are an individual and or a business. I've certainly had several instances now where from the outset, as much as trying to get the level of penalties down to the minimum, which again I've covered in a previous podcast, my target was simply to keep my client's name off the list of serious defaulters. Not because of embarrassment, because of contracts. They had a locked contract with local councils and they were concerned that once they were named and shamed, that they would then lose those contracts. It wouldn't necessarily close the business overnight, but it would certainly have a very serious impact on the business and its ability to carry on trading. So we had to do as much as we could to make sure that my clients' names were kept off the list of serious defaulters. Now that is done simply by demonstrating that you have helped HMRC, you've told HMRC everything, and you've given HMRC everything that they've asked for in terms of documentation. So it's not something you can start to think about at the end of an investigation. It's like penalties that in my view, you have to think about at the very start of the investigation. Where do we go from here in terms of surviving and paying HMRC off? So this contract is quite important in terms of getting the names of the taxpayers right, the amounts, the dates and all the rest of it. Otherwise, it can be end up being a, an invalid contract. So it's important that the actual wording is checked. For a lot of taxpayers, it's the first time that they've actually seen a contract and any sort of formal wording can put taxpayers off. So if need be, if the tax specialist that you have engaged is not able to check the contract for you, you might want to consult a lawyer, but they need to be experienced in contract law, not necessarily tax law. Now, until both sides have signed that paperwork, it's still not binding. The normal routine that happens is that HMRC will create the paperwork, create the contract settlement, send it to the taxpayer first for them to sign and date and return. Again, normally two copies. Then it's the turn of HMRC to sign and date the contract on behalf of HMRC and then send the signed and countersigned and dated contract back to the taxpayer and then that is then binding on all signs. 
The difficulties can be, from HMRC's point of view, is to identify an officer within HMRC who has the authority to bind HMRC into that contract. So again, before you come to the end, you need to make sure that all the relevant parties are able to sign on behalf of that taxpayer. In the most serious cases where it's tax fraud, invariably it's a limited company or even a PLC that is the entity that's being charged the tax interest and penalties. But the limited company cannot sign in its own name. It doesn't exist. It's not a human being. So therefore, it's going to be one one or more of the directors that have to sign as on behalf of the company. In terms of partnerships and LLPs, again, there's normally more than one partner in the business, but there's always one designated partner, and it's that designated partner that will sign on behalf of the partnership as a whole. It is therefore a good idea at the same time for that designated partner to get other signed documentation to say that whilst they are putting their name to the contract settlement with HMRC, that overall liability is not theirs alone. They are simply signing on behalf of the partnership and all the undersigned partners also agree that they are then joint and severably liable back to the designated partner should the debt not be payable. So there's a lot of paperwork, very important paperwork, but we're now in the sphere of legal contracts, not tax law. So in terms of the contract settlement itself, when checking the wording, it's important to make sure that the period of time that's been agreed to pay the total debt is stated clearly. This is literally anything that can be obtained. So starting from the whole amount is payable within, say, 30 days, or as often it can be up to 10 years. But then there can be 10 years in a total period or 10 times 12 monthly payments of X. It can be anything that is acceptable to both parties. So what's acceptable to HMRC and what's achievable by the taxpayer. There can be conditions imposed on the payments. So for example, I've had cases where a taxpayer has had to sell assets, perhaps a property, in which case, as part of the contract settlement, a term is that as soon as the property known as 22 Acacia Avenue, whatever, is sold, then at that point, the proceeds, less any costs incurred of sale, is handed over as a lump sum against the total debt owed to HMRC. So until that property is sold, that money is not payable. So there's all sorts of ways and means of getting the contract terms varied. Sometimes HMRC will want to take security for payment. So in that last example, rather than having to sell the property, the ownership of the property has put a charge on it. So when people buy a house, they have a charge when a mortgage is put on it. Here you can have an additional charge put on that stands behind the mortgage on the house and it just prevents the taxpayer from selling the assets and then disappearing into the night and not paying HMRC. So it will be a charge on the property stated at HM Land Registry behind 
Barclays Bank PLC, which is the first charge, and that's for the mortgage, you'll then just say HM Revenue and Customs. It won't say why the charge is there, because that's confidential. But when the property is sold properly, the purchaser, when they do the land registry search, will see that there are two charges and may just wonder, well, why is there a charge on this property? Not that it is any of their financial liability because it's the taxpayer's liability. So when the contract settlement has been drawn up, agreed by both sides and signed by both sides, there's still one more hurdle to be overcome. And that is to make sure that it's a valid contract from HMRC's point of view. It's the acceptance. An investigation can go on for months, years, between the HMRC and the taxpayer. And often it's the same inspector from day one to day end. What HMRC don't want to be accused of is that there's either any favouritism given to the taxpayer because of the friendship, shall we call it, that's been built up over the two years of the investigation. Or, on the other hand, there's nothing vindictive that's inserted by the inspector because of the breakdown, perhaps, of the relationship between a taxpayer and HMRC. So it's a methodology of overseeing that the contract would be enforceable and it's fair, that the taxpayer has been fairly treated, not too leniently, not too harshly. If you have any queries over contract settlements or any other matter in these series of podcasts, please give me a call 07979 313 or my email address is paul at pmc.tax. Thank you for listening. If you've got any questions you want to ask me, my telephone number is 07979 313010 or contact me by email at paul at pmc.tax. Thank you for listening.